but let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. Paul writes, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And this is the section where we will spend most of our time, beginning at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast also, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, the message today is plain and delightful. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. And when I am weak, I am strong. Yes, His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. What comforting words to the heirs of every believer. The text we come to today has many implications and applications. This text, it argues against the core of the message of those who spread the prosperity gospel. It reminds us that sometimes God says no to our requests. It demonstrates God's awareness of and concern for believers' challenges. 
it makes clear that we can be at our best even when things are at their worst. It reminds us that God is sovereign. It makes clear where the power is. It provides comfort in times of grief, disappointment, loss, and other challenges. It calls us to have a godly perspective in every circumstance. The truth is, this passage tells us so much that I can go on and on. It tells us what God values. It tells us that his economy differs from the world's. The text we read might be summarized like this, using the words in the text itself. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And our goal in preaching this message is to cause us to come to a place where we grab hold of those words now and into the future so that they might be an encouragement to us in times of challenges and difficulties. I've organized my thoughts around two points, our weaknesses and God's power. Paul writes to the church at Corinth with a heavy heart. With a heavy heart. And yet Paul in this book is very, very personal. You will be aware that Paul was the author of much of the New Testament. And in some of the words that we've read, Paul talks about the special revelation that he had. But this church, this, the church at Corinth at this time, was experiencing some challenges, internal challenges. Brotherly love was not on full display in this church. Heresy abounded in this church. People were varying away from the gospel. And then, if that weren't bad enough, they were questioning Paul's authority. Indeed, all of this got back to Paul. Could you imagine this man who had given up much of what he had for the gospel. But then he heard and he was aware of things that people, others were saying about him. Some said that his letters were weighty and strong, but his bodily presence was weak. They talked about the way he looked. They talked about the way he spoke. They talked about the fact that he was not among the original apostles. They criticized him. 
And Paul, in his defense, Paul says, you know what? Allow me for a moment to be a fool. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. And Paul goes on and Paul says, is there a Hebrew? Well, I'm a Hebrew too. They Israelites, so am I. Are they of Abram's seed? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? So am I. And he says to them, I am truly none with far greater labor, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Paul goes on and on and on. And then he talks about his experience having the special vision. But Paul, this was obviously something that impacted him because Paul was just like you and me. Paul felt this. He felt the insults coming from those who he had ministered to, who he had encouraged whose eyes the Lord used to help to open them to see and to understand and to accept the gospel. His heart was heavy indeed. And it is within this context, within this heavy-heartedness, that Paul writes these words found in verse, verses 7 and 8. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because Paul, remember, he had, in response to the church, Paul had said to them, listen, you think I'm that? Well, this is the truth. Let me hold up for you. Let me Boast a while, let me become foolish and tell you who I really am. And Paul realized that that's not what he ought to do. But he did it nevertheless. And then he came down and he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. And then in verse 8 he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul writes here that the Lord had given to him a thorn in the flesh what he describes as a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep him from becoming conceited. Precisely what that was, I don't know. And to be honest, I don't want to speculate. Because I don't think that that gets to the essence of the point. 
What I do know is that it was something that was undesirable. It was something that bothered him to the point that he prayed about it. It was something that others knew about. It was something that Paul felt caused him to be humble in some respects. Paul, thank you. Paul writes here that he prayed about it. I'm aware that like many, you want to know what this thorn in the flesh was. But guess what? The truth is we all have weaknesses. Something that we believe Humanly speaking, is holding us back from achieving a goal such as happiness or financial security, good health, social acceptance, popularity, and the list goes on and on. Man, if this were not the case, I would do that. If that were not true about me, I would conquer the world or X, Y, Z. We all have weaknesses. And Paul here, this man who wrote much of the New Testament, talks about his weaknesses. Talks about this weakness in particular. But as we consider this section of the Bible, and we think about how this relates to us, how might we apply this to ourselves? I think it's important for us to get a better understanding of what Paul means when he refers here to weaknesses. Because if we get that wrong, we could get the entire thing wrong. See, three times in the verses that we read, Paul refers to weaknesses. The Lord says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I am content with weaknesses. But Paul is not here, and this is important, brothers and sisters, Paul is not here talking about sin. John Piper offers a great explanation about these weaknesses about which Paul writes. Quoting John Piper, he says, He, that is Paul, is not talking about a kind of behavior. Like we might say, he has a weakness for lust. Or she has a weakness for overeating. Paul is not talking about bad choices that we make. He is not saying that the power of Christ is perfected by bad choices, or I will all the more gladly boast of my bad choices. Weaknesses here are not imperfect choices. They are circumstances and situations and experiences and wounds that make us look weak. Things we would probably get rid of if we had the human strength. 
think it's important for us to understand that. Indeed, Paul gives us a list at the end of the section that we read, though not exhaustive. I think it helps to point us in the right direction. Paul says in this section, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. But what weaknesses do you have? Do you have an economic weakness? Do you have a speech weakness? A physical weakness? A health weakness? What weakness? do you have? Perhaps it's one of those or one that has not yet been mentioned. You know, as I prepared this message and having regard for what Paul says, because if you read closely what Paul said in this text, Paul says, the Lord gave me this thorn in the flesh. And guess what it did? It humbled me. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful if we all knew what our, the other person's weaknesses were? Sometimes it's evident, but sometimes it's not. You know something? Have you ever been around someone who looks like they have it all together? I got to tell you, that's a real difficult thing. That's a real difficult situation. And somebody seems like there's everything going well. No concern in this area. No money concern. No relational concern. No health concern. Most popular. Most this. Most that. I mean, that's a, those kinds of relationships are really, really difficult. Because there you are, little puny me, with my challenges, and, and here is Mr. or Miss Perfect. But I got to tell you, Paul here, the leader in the church, says, I got a weakness. And I think he tells us, he, he helps us to see by example that it's okay for us to share and to reveal our weaknesses. In fact, it helps to bring us down to earth. It helps to add a little bit of humanity to us. So I want to encourage us to really, listen, let's share our weaknesses. And as we go through this, we've got to see how much even more important that is for us to do. I got a weakness. You got a weakness. All God's people got weakness. Listen, that's the way we are. All of us have weaknesses in one area or the other. Now, the, but here's the truth, though. Here's the truth. There are some who say that believers should have no weaknesses. Now, I know you've heard that. If you've been around as long as pastor has, you have heard that. <laughs> And certainly if you have, if you do have weaknesses, they say you shouldn't talk about it. But Paul writes a contrary view. His weakness has produced in him a sense of humility. 
Otherwise, he would be puffed up. That's what he says. Notice, though, how Paul responded to his weakness. This really, we got to grab a hold of this. Paul says, in response to my weakness, I prayed. Indeed, he didn't say it quite that way. He said, I pleaded with the Lord. Did you see that? Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord. And he didn't say he did it once. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Now, some commentators say that when Paul said he pleaded three times, it's, that's just a figure of speech. That it really means that Paul pleaded one time and two times and three times and over and over and over and over again. Maybe that's debatable. But what we do know is that he pleaded with the Lord more than once, more than twice, at least three times. At least three times. And brothers and sisters, that helps us to see that there's nothing wrong with us going to the Lord and repeating our requests and making our requests known to him over and over and over again. And the Bible says, the Bible, Paul uses the words, the word that he pleaded with the Lord. Paul didn't go around, you know, just being comfortable with his weakness. He, he said, Lord, take this away from me. The word pleaded suggests urgency and the heartfelt nature of his prayer. He pleaded with the Lord. And that leads me to my second and final point. As we consider God's response and God's power, Paul writes, my grace is sufficient for you. This is what the Lord responded to Paul's prayer. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Lord's response to Paul was no. The Lord's response to the leader of the church, to the apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament was no. Let's face it, you and I, we don't go around talking about the no's that the Lord 
gives to us. The Paul here, in a transparent way, shares with the church at Corinth and with us that the Lord, in response to his pleadings, said no. Perhaps some of you might say, like a good old Bahamian, that does not paint a good picture of the man of God. But Paul is not too high-minded to say that the Lord's response to him was a no. But what do you do when the Lord says no? What do you do when the Lord does not answer in the way that you would wish? Let's see how Paul navigates through this and see if there might be application for us. The Lord says, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. I believe someone here is hearing those words today and they're going to your soul. My grace is sufficient. In the midst of a trying circumstance, my grace is sufficient. But three questions come to mind when I consider the response that Paul got. When Paul hears these words from the Lord, no, my grace is sufficient. The first one is, what is grace? The second is, what is it sufficient to do? And the third is, why is it sufficient? What is grace? Grace is the undeserved, unearned favor of God. Grace is what God gives us. Grace is the very power of God. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, we read, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. What is grace sufficient to do? In a sentence, Paul says, Grace is the antidote to our weaknesses. You have weaknesses, then see God's grace. Charles Spurgeon, writing about the sufficiency of God's grace, writes this. This sufficiency is declared without any limiting words. And therefore I understand the passage to mean that the grace of the Lord Jesus is sufficient to uphold thee. Sufficient to strengthen thee. Sufficient to comfort thee. Sufficient to make thy trouble useful to thee. Sufficient to enable thee to triumph over it. Sufficient to bring thee out of it. And sufficient to bring thee home to heaven. God's grace is sufficient to bear you up. When the weight on your shoulders seems too much to carry. His grace is sufficient to give you peace 
in the midst of trying circumstances that cause others to faint and lose heart. His grace is sufficient to give you hope for tomorrow, even when the prognosis from the doctors is not what you would expect. His grace is sufficient when the numbers don't add up. In times of sadness, his grace is sufficient to bring you joy. In times of persecution, his grace is sufficient to comfort you. Remember, all of this is within the context of a no response to our pleadings. The Lord says, I won't remove it, but my grace is sufficient. I'm not going to take you out of this trouble. I'm not going to heal your body, but my grace is sufficient. And the Lord answers no. It is instructive to know that Paul writes that grace is sufficient. Present tense. He could have said that grace will be sufficient. Or that grace was sufficient. But he said it is. Brothers and sisters. For you and for me. Grace is sufficient. We pray that grace is sufficient. Grace is sufficient in every circumstance that we deal with, every challenge that we have. Why is God's grace sufficient? God's grace is sufficient because the power of God is made perfect in our weakness. After all, it's His grace. It's got to be sufficient. If it were my grace, or Brother Tim's grace, perhaps you might say it's not sufficient. But it's God's. And by definition, His grace must always be sufficient. There is a promise that accompanies the sufficiency of God's grace. It is this. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. More often than not. We want to get rid of the weakness. But the Lord is saying, my power is made perfect. My power is made perfect in your weakness. My power, God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Why? Because your weakness brings you to a place of humility. See what Paul says in verse 7. God would rather you be humble and operating under his power than arrogant and operating under your own power. His grace is sufficient and is made, by, his power is made perfect in our weakness. When you and I are weak and we thrust ourselves on the Lord, and we say, Lord, we just can't do this. We need your help. And whatever you do, Lord, is well done. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Why? 
it's because the world sees our weaknesses and the world sees that we are not buried by them. And guess what? Jesus gets the glory. God would rather Jesus be glorified through us. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Why? Because we are brought closer to God in our weakest moments when we're down and out and we don't know how the doctors are going to fix that problem or where the next dollar is going to come from or when people are saying things about us we run to the rock given all that Paul says therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, you know, I could tell you, remember the context now. Remember, we framed it a little bit earlier. Remember that Paul is responding to criticism from these people that he has been so kind to. And he talks about, about his experiences. But Paul says, no, 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 I'm going to set that aside. I would rather boast not about my achievements and my accomplishments. Rather, I would prefer to boast about my weaknesses. Why? Because the power of Christ rests upon me. Oh, if that were true about us today, that we would rather boast about our weaknesses because there we stand in the midst of our weaknesses. And we are able to testify that despite the challenges that we have, God's power rests upon us. Paul is saying, I've been places and I've seen things. I've done this and that. Yet the grounds upon which I am prepared to boast are my weaknesses because they point to God. Paul had come to a place where he was more reliant on the grace of God than his own strength. Paul understood the frailty of the human body. So he could not rely on his strength or good looks. He knew well that charm and personality are so lost with familiarity. He must have known that money was fleeting and power easily diminished. But God's grace is eternal. Now we must be very careful as we navigate through these verses. I don't believe that weaknesses are to be desired. We don't go around saying, Lord, give me some weakness today. Now, if you're doing that, that, you know, you know, we got to pray for you. We don't, we don't go around doing that. Paul is not here saying that he welcomes weaknesses. Remember, he prayed that they be removed. We don't pray for hardship. We don't pray for dirt. We don't pray for lack. 
You don't do that. I don't believe that quantity, that the quantity and the level of one's weakness is an indication of one's spirituality either. That's not supported in scripture. That is, I don't believe that just because someone is really weak in one area or lacks certain things, that that means that that person is more spiritual than the other either. There are some people who believe that. Paul's point is this. Because I know that God's power is made perfect in weakness, I am content knowing that I am actually stronger than if I had my way. In other words, Paul is content to have faith in God. You and I need to come to a point like the Apostle Paul, where we take our weaknesses to the Lord and we are contented with the results. I'd rather have the Lord's strength than my own, wouldn't you? I'd rather have the Lord's strength in times of difficulties, in fact at any time than my own. I'd rather rely on him than on me. You see, when the Lord says no to us, and then the Lord says that my grace is sufficient, you and I need to have the confidence that, listen, he is sovereign and he sees things that you and I cannot see. He understands things that you and I will never understand. He sees things. He sees tomorrow. In fact, he sees an hour from now that you and I just can't see. And it could very well be that a yes response could create a situation for you that you did not anticipate. Or it could very well be that the Lord chooses to use you in a certain way. I'd rather have the Lord's strength than my own. So when, brothers and sisters, we are weak, then we are strong because we know his power is made perfect in our weakness. Someone says that so with the apostle, what seems to be an incapacitating conquest by Satan's messenger is transformed into a triumph of grace and vindication of the sovereignty of Almighty God. It seemed like Paul would be struck down, but God used it for good. God used it to demonstrate his sovereignty. God used it to humble this man. And how many of you know that all of us need a dose of humility? As we conclude, we must be sure of two things. Number one, that the place of contentment in spite of weaknesses is arrived at through humility, prayer, and faith. Otherwise, it's questionable. 
I want to say that again. The place of contentment, in spite of weaknesses, is arrived at through humility, prayer, and faith. Otherwise, it's questionable. You see, some of us can say, I'm content, and, and it could just be a mind thing. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is spiritual. It's tied to Jesus Christ. It's tied to God our Father. Second point is that contentment in spite of weaknesses must be evidenced by our attitude and our behavior. In other words, you cannot complete, you cannot claim contentment if you always complaining and grumbling. The evidence must be that Jesus Christ is glorified. Let me say that again. The point is this. That you can't say that you are content with your weakness if all you do is complain about it and if all you do is grumble about it. It must be your contentment must be Evidenced by your behavior, by your attitude. And you must be desirous of bringing Jesus Christ glory. Yes, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. If his grace is sufficient to place us in right standing with him, then it must be sufficient for life's challenges. Would you not agree with that? Could you imagine if God's grace was sufficient to bring us in right standing with him, but it was not sufficient for life's challenges? That would be questionable grace. Brothers and sisters at all times, but especially during times of weakness. We ought to say like the Apostle Paul, His grace is sufficient. Can I tell you that you ought to practice that? Because if you don't need it now, one of these days you're going to have to say it. God, your grace is sufficient. In this trying time, your grace is sufficient. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you have. There's going to come a time in your life where these words are going to bring comfort to your heart. Your grace is sufficient. Sufficient. I don't have what I need. I don't have what I want. My body is failing me, right? My relationship is on the rocks. My co-workers are speaking ill of me. Your grace. Your grace is sufficient. How many of you have ever had occasion to use these words? Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. In sickness, in in South, this is what Paul writes in the concluding section of this passage. Paul says, 
In sickness, His grace is sufficient. In salts, in hardships, in persecutions even. And then if that were not enough, Paul says, and calamities. You know what a calamity is? Costing something that causes great and sudden distress. Paul says, even there his grace is sufficient. Bad diagnosis, his grace is sufficient. When I am weak, I am strong. Because he holds me up. He gives me power to endure. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Brothers and sisters, you and I have no reason to complain. That's Paul's point. His grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, today that your grace, your grace is sufficient. Oh, Father. Lord, we are aware that many of us going through trying and challenging times, whatever that looks like, Lord. For some, Lord, it's a health condition. For others, Lord, it's a relational issue. For some, it's the loss of a loved one. For others, it's a financial challenge. For some, it's a reputational issue. For others, oh Lord, it's something even too hard to imagine. But Lord, we know that you know what it is. Oh Lord, our prayer is that you would place in every heart the reality of these words that we preached about today, that your grace is sufficient. Lord, cause these words to come alive in every heart. Oh, Father, let these words be true for us. For the one who is broken today, oh Lord, cause these words to be true. Your grace is sufficient. Father, thank you for the sufficiency of your grace. Thank you for your power which is made perfect in our weakness. Thank you, Lord, that you have drawn us to you. Oh, what a privilege we have. What a blessing. Lord, we are blessed among men to know you. Thank you, Lord. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.